Evening guys, welcome to another Wednesday midweek study. Today we're going to be in John chapter 5 and uh, we're going to be starting off from verse 16. But before we go in, I'll just pray. Father, I just praise you and I thank you for your word. I thank you uh, for the opportunity and the ability that we have to read through it, not only privately, uh, but to read through it together, to encourage one another with your word. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to continue to hunger after your word, to spend time with it, to pour over it. And I pray that as we read through it tonight, that your Holy Spirit would speak to each and every one of us, that you'd uh, remind us of things, that you'd uh, show us different things in your word, that you would uh, show us uh, things in mainly the main points that we're drawing out, and that you'd show us things uh, that you want to speak to us privately about as well. Father, I just pray that you would uh, continue to work through your word. And Spirit, I ask that you would um, speak through me, that you give me the words uh, that you want me to say, things that I may not have planned on saying, and that you told me back from saying things that I may have planned on saying, but um, it's not right for me to say. So, Father, I just ask that you'd speak tonight and you'd work in us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, uh, tonight, um, we're going to be starting off from verse 16, but just as a quick recap, uh, because we are building on the story from something that's already previously happened last week. So, last week, we went from verse 9 through to 15. So, we were talking about how Jesus had healed this paralytic man at the pool of Bethesda, and now the Jewish leaders are angry with him. And they're angry with him because... He's broken their Sabbath laws, and he's done work on the Sabbath. And Jesus defends himself and says, Hey, is it not lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Sabbath was made for man. And so um, we talked about that a lot last week, so you can, go and re you can go and watch that last week if you want to see more about that. But basically, um, they were confronting Jesus, and they were more concerned with the sin than they were the Saviour. And um, how we see Jesus affects our walk here on this earth, and then ultimately it affects our eternity, what's going to happen to us after we die. And so we want to be obedient to him out of love, uh, not because we feel like we have to in order to be saved, because we know that he has done all the work of salvation. And um, when we recognize him for who he is, then it leads to that true relationship that is motivated in love where we're actually spending time with him and he's strengthening us to fight the good fight that's set before us. And so in verse 16, um, I'll just read this and then we'll just continue on a bit. It says, so the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father thereby making himself equal with God. Now, this incensed the Jewish leaders, because at this point, they're just like, okay, this guy, he's a rebel. He's breaking the Sabbath laws. And then at this point, he's calling himself the son of God. That means that they're like, hang on a minute. This guy says that he's equal with God? Uh, whoa, this is way more than just simply he's sinning. This guy is in blasphemy. And so... They're now on Jesus' back for breaking the Sabbath, which to them was more important than the miracle that had happened. And then now they're on his back because, hang on a minute, you're claiming to be the son of God. And so Jesus showed that he was empowered by God. 
And they didn't want to recognize this as God's work because that was against their own rules. That was against the rules of the Sabbath that they had. And it attacked the security that they had in themselves, that they were able to somehow earn some merit by being good and by adding on these extra rules onto God's laws and keeping those as well. And it attacked their authority as well, because all of a sudden Jesus is saying, is it not lawful to do good on the Sabbath? And to then explain the scriptures and to explain why God put certain laws in place, they all of a sudden sat there like, hang on a minute, you can't make a fool of us. And so Jesus is performing the works of God on a day of rest. And in their pride, instead of recognizing that it was actually God's work, they assume simply that Jesus was in sin. And Jesus responds that the Father was working good on the Sabbath as well. And he doesn't simply state it as like, our Father, or the Father. He states, my Father. And so he's declaring himself as the Son of God. And this is the first section, which we're not going to go through all of it tonight, where Jesus is talking to them. But this is the first bit where he declares himself as the Son of God, where he is declaring his divinity. And so he's making himself equal with God, and rightly so, because he is. And so he's saying that he is the Son of God. And if he's the Son of God, which, like, he is, the Father is God, and so therefore the Son is also God. Just in, for instance, if you think, if you're a human being in that you originate from a human being, and so a human being begets another human being. Just in the same way that if you originate from a dog, you're another dog. Like, that's just the way that it is. And so Jesus' origin is the eternal God with no beginning. And so in Matthew 1, verse 18, we read a little bit more of this. It says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Jesus is born of a woman, so he is fully man. But, he's conceived through the power of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that means he is also fully God. And this is simply him appearing in human form. It's not like this is the first time that he's ever existed because he was the word in the beginning as we read in uh, the first chapter of John. And so his source was God, the eternal God. And Jesus is the word in flesh revealed in a human body as we read in 1 Timothy uh, 3 uh, verse 16. But in the start of John chapter 1 verse 1 as one was going through it. We read, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, Jesus existed as the Word in the beginning, and he was with God, so then he is this separate person from God, but he also is God. So, then in verse 14, we see, so the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So this is the Word in flesh who is appearing, and this is God incarnate. This is God in the flesh. And so Jesus, as the Word, is God made manifest in the flesh. And he, being the Son of God, is also God, just as the Father is God and just as the Holy Spirit is God. And we call this the Trinity which is a concept 
we're not going to attempt to explain, we're not going to attempt to understand, because really, we can't really understand it. Because God, as the creator, is so much more complex than that which he creates. So we can't really attempt to understand because we can't understand the complexity of God, because he's made us. So um, this is the one true and living God, the three persons of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In John 10 verse 30, it says, the Father and I are one, which is Jesus speaking. And then in Genesis 1 and Acts 5, 3 to 4, and various other places, we read how the Holy Spirit is also God. And so all three persons comprise God. And this is the one God, which is also three persons. And yet they're distinct from one another, like we see in the baptism where Jesus is baptized, so we see Jesus in the flesh, and the Spirit descends upon him like a dove, so we see the Holy Spirit there at the same time. And then the Father speaks from heaven, so the Father is there as well, all distinct from one another, and yet the same God. And so this is a massive topic that we're not going to just discuss in detail, because this isn't theology class or anything else like that. And no one wants to necessarily sit through a long lecture on um, the Trinity for a Wednesday night Bible study. And if you do, then that's cool. You know, we can talk about that another time. But this means that in order to attempt to understand it, we just have to say, actually, you know what? I know that I can't understand it because we're finite human beings attempting to understand an infinite God. And so we just simply have to accept the truths and say, okay, cool, I'm, I'm happy with that, even though I don't understand it. Just in the same way that I'm happy to drive a car, even though I don't necessarily understand every single inner working and everything that it does, and why it does what it does, I'm simply happy to say, yeah, I understand enough to trust it, and to say, yeah, I'm willing to use it. And in the same way that when I'm sick, I'm willing to take medicine, I understand enough to say, yeah, this works. The evidence shows that it works, and so I'm willing to put my trust in that to actually help heal me of whatever ailment it is. And in a similar sense, God presents all these truths to us, and we can't expect to necessarily un understand them all fully, but we can simply accept them as truths and say, okay, you know what? I understand enough that I'm willing to put my trust to say, hey, the evidence is there to show me actually I don't need to understand everything in order to put my trust in him. And so we can see that and we can see the truth that's set before us and we can trust in that without having to necessarily understand everything. Because he is an infinite God and so we can't possibly attempt to understand everything about God. And so Jesus here is clarifying that he is God. So He's claiming to be God's son, and therefore claiming to be the one true God himself. And that makes Jesus equal with the Father, by being of the same nature, which is God. And this incensed the Jewish believers, because they're there like, I'm sorry, excuse me, what? What did you just do? And so Jesus is claiming to be God in nature, and in this, he not only states that he is the son of God, but... Just as the Father is working, so is he working, that he has that equal power. So, um, in verse 19 it says, So Jesus explained, I'll tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. 
Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will truly be astonished. For just as the Father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone he wants. And so Jesus is bringing glory to God by his working, by working on the Sabbath and by doing all these good works. He is declaring the kingdom. And people see these miraculous works and they see that God has come and that he is the promised Messiah. And so Jesus states even there that it's not only it's not on his own that he does these works. And in Philippians 2 verse 6 to 8, we get a little bit more clarity on that. It says, though he was God, speaking of Jesus, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So Jesus came and appeared as a man, giving up those divine privileges that he had, rightfully so, but to do it out of love for us so that he could be our high priest who understands all of our weaknesses, who understands our afflictions, and so that he could be the sacrificial lamb. And then, not only the sacrificial lamb, but then raise himself to then be our advocate. And so Jesus humbled himself, even though he didn't have to, he chose to because of his love for us, and because of the Father, and because of his will. And Jesus humbled himself by becoming a man, when he was already God. So he laid aside the privileges of being God, in order to do that, in order that he could be that eternal sacrifice for us, which is our only hope. And he knew that he was our only hope. And because it required not only man, because obviously we all have a debt to pay, but we could only pay our own debt. By paying our own debt, it doesn't set us free. We simply just take the punishment that we justly deserve. But it requires someone else, someone who doesn't have a debt to pay, which is sinless, which is then only God. And so then he was able to come and he was able to pay that debt that we couldn't possibly pay. And then because it's God, it's also eternal, it's infinite. So then it not only pays for one man's sin, it pays for every man's sin. It pays for every single person's sin. And it pays for every single person's sin throughout all time as well. So Jesus lays aside his divine privileges and becomes a man, and yet in these miracles is showing himself that he is also God. And so he's doing these works which come from God. He's doing these works as God rather than just of himself. He's doing the Father's will. Jesus, as the Son of God, is doing his Father's work rather than his own work. Jesus is dependent on God to do the Father's will. He's dependent upon his Godhood to, to enable him to do that. And the father shows the son what he's doing, and so the son is obedient in going to do that. He enables the son in order to perform those great works, as Jesus says. And even these life-giving works. And the son is given power through God to give life to those that he wants. And so he's equal to God in power. And that's what Jesus is declaring. And this is part of the big thing that Jesus is going through here, where he's equal to God in power. Next week, we'll speak a little bit more how he's equal to God in authority as well. And he has the power to raise the dead and to give life. 
And so Jesus is dependent on God in all of these works. So he submitted to the Father's will by choice, having given up his divine privileges, and in love, being a son rather than doing these things because he has to, but doing these things because of his love for us, and doing his love, doing these things out of love for the Father and his will. And he does this to reveal God and to reveal his works and his love. And we should likewise aim to reveal or point to God in our lives. In 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, it says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In 1 John 2 verse 6, it says, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So our lives are to imitate Christ. They're to reflect God in our lives, to point to him, the one who is our savior, the one who is our Messiah. And He's the one who has the power to save, and he humbles himself through death on a cross, therefore therefore taking our sin upon himself and paying that debt. And then he also has the power to raise his own life. So he resurrected himself, showing that he is God, and then showing that he has the power to make us alive spiritually as well. That once we were dead in our sins, now we're alive in Christ. So we have our hope in him. And if we're to reflect him in our lives, to point to him of his work in our lives, then we first have to accept that we can't do it in ourselves. We can't do it of our own will. We can't do it in our own power. We have to do it through God's work in our lives, through his power. And this takes us first humbling ourselves, no matter how able we think we are. Um, a lot of us who are Christians have already accepted the fact that, hey, in light of eternity, I know that I am unable to save myself. I know that I am incapable of that. And so we accept that the only way of paying that debt is through Christ. And that's why Christ came to redeem us, because he knew there was no other way. So he made a way for us that he is able to then pay that debt. And so then we recognize that in humility, saying, I can't do this, but you've already done this. There is nothing that I can do to earn this. It is a free gift of God. And then here on earth, there's also the fact of he's not only saved us, but he continues to sanctify us. He continues to make us more and more like Christ. And we have to recognize that we're incapable of living lives that please God without his help. To live a life that's perfect without his help is a ridiculous idea to think of. Because we're sinful, we're prone to wonder, we have our own things that we're like, yeah, I want to do this for myself or this. We're selfish, like, by our very nature. We're sinful by our very nature. And so we need his help in order to walk right. And oftentimes it's easy for us in the moment to think, oh yeah, I'll just try and do this. Or, oh yeah, this has gone wrong. Let me just try and work this out. Rather than going to the Lord and saying, okay, you know what? I know I can't do this. I need your help to enable me to, to do this. We often try in our own strength to, to live right, to do things well, or to just do things that are set before us than to do them how we think they should be done. But he knows that we can't do it in our own strength. And so he gives us the Holy Spirit as their helper. In John 14 verse 26, it shows us that the Holy Spirit teaches us. In Romans 8 verse 26, it shows us that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. In Galatians 5, verse 22 to 23, it shows us that the Holy Spirit produces the fruits of the Spirit in our lives. 
So he not only teaches us in showing us what is right, he not only helps us in our weakness by lifting us out of that rut and helping us to walk, but he then produces the fruit of the Spirit in our lives to help us to not just walk, but to run, to actually produce good fruit in our lives. That in like, Acts 1 verse 8, it shows us that the Holy Spirit empowers us to live this life that's set before us. But we have to first admit that we can't do it in our own strength. We're unable to save ourselves, and likewise, we're really unable to walk right without his help. Like a father who sees his son able to, unable to lift something, and he asks him, Hey, do you need a hand? And the son's like, No, no, I'm okay, I'm okay. Until he realizes he can't actually lift that thing, and then he has to ask for help. Like, I think of Dave's youngest, Josie, where um, she's very capable, and she's She's very good for doing stuff for her own age anyway, but she'll do something or she'll try and do something and like I'll offer at first like, hey, you want a hand? No. Like, okay, you do it yourself. And then as she's trying, she realizes she's not quite really able to do it. So then she asks for the help and then it's, okay, yes, I can help you. I was already willing to help you. And the Lord stands there for us saying, hey, I'm willing to help you, but are you willing, are you willing to admit that you need that help so that you'll actually let me help you here. And a lot of us are persistent and stubborn and trying to do things our own way. And we have to sit and say, okay, you know what? Yeah, Lord, I need your help. And all of us are like kids a lot of the time when we're just trying to do things our own way, trying to do things not only in our own way, but in our own strength. And it takes us turning to the Lord, humbling ourselves saying, you know what? Yeah, I just need your help. And it's like trying to sort a problem that we've encountered, whether it's money, whether it's just different situations, whether it's relationship issues. It's saying, okay, Lord, I not only need you to work in me, but I need you to work in this situation. And then like trying to get rid of certain sins and things like that. But it's saying, okay, Lord, I need you to work in me to help me to actually have a love for you that is then saying when I encounter sin, that I say, actually, no, I want nothing to do with that. And he's ready and he's willing to help, but it takes us humbling ourselves and admitting that we need help for him to then actually help lift us out. We actually have to take his hand to say, okay, yeah, please actually help me. And when we do that, he empowers us, like Philippians 2 verse 13. It says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And he empowers us when we humble ourselves and admit that we need his help, that we aren't able to do it in our own strength. And so he gives us the power through his strength. And like in Romans 8 verse 14 or in Galatians 5:25, we want to be led by the Spirit, asking him to lead us. We want to walk in the Spirit, that Jesus is doing God's work by God's power. Jesus even said that he's not doing this just of his own works, he's doing God's works. And so when we encounter these life situations and the sin in our own lives, we don't battle it alone. We say, okay, you know what? I need your help. I don't only need you to guide me to do your will, but I need your strength to actually walk in that way as well. That we admit our standing in our weakness. We admit our inability to do it ourselves. Asking then that he would enable us, that he would empower us. And he does. That in those difficult situations, in those difficult decisions that he gives us his wisdom. 
in encountering different troubles, encountering different situations that we're faced with, he gives us his peace. And in battling sin and those different things that come against us, he'll then give us his strength as well. That he has the power over the grave, he saves us from our sin, and he not only does that, but he then goes even further in not only offering us mercy, but he offers his grace further in empowering us through the strength of his spirit to actually walk right, to be renewed, to be given that spiritual life that Jesus says that he has to give. In Second Corinthians 3 verse 18, it says, So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. And so we're called as adopted sons and daughters to reflect Christ, to be renewed like he says that he's going to renew us, to make us more and more like Christ, that we would reflect him and that we would bring glory to God. That then we're going to face troubles in our lives, but he empowers us by his spirit to actually walk through those battles, to handle those things because he's with us. We don't have to battle it alone. But we need the humility at first to admit that we can't do it in our own strength, that we can't live in our own strength. We can't choose to just do things because we want to do them, but to actually say, okay, Lord, is this what you want? Is this pleasing to you? To instead then choose to walk in his strength and in his will rather than in our strength or in our own will. And then we're walking in the spirit that, like John the Baptist said, that he would increase and that I would decrease. And we want that in our lives that we would live our lives in love for God, the God who saves and who is with us in every circumstance, that we humble ourselves, we let him empower us for his work rather than our own. And then when we do that, he's glorified, he renews us, and we can shine him all the more in our lives because in our weaknesses, that's where his strength is magnified even the more. In 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9, and we'll end here, it says, each time he said to me, my grace is sufficient. My power is perfected in weakness. And so then Paul says, and so I boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ will work through me. And that's what we want. We want to boast in our weaknesses to say, you know what? I know I can't do this, but I'm glad I can't do it because that means that the Lord is going to work so mightily through me in my weaknesses because I have to rely on his strength rather than trying to do things on my own strength. And we'll end it there rather than continuing on, um, but um, we'll just pray. Father, I just pray that you'd be with us tonight after we've read your word. I pray that you'd help us to continue to delight in your word, to pour over it, um, to just see the different things that you have in your word uh, that you speak to us about. Uh, Father, I thank you uh, that uh, you sent your son to give us life, uh, to renew us, to continue to work through us. Uh, not only saving us from our sin, but uh, continuing to work in us, making us more and more in the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray for us as we uh, go out tonight, that you'd be with us, uh, that you'd continue to work in our lives, that you'd uh, remind us uh, to humble ourselves, to admit that uh, we know that we can't just do whatever we want, because uh, we know that uh, you have things set before us that are pleasing to you, and things that are good, and we want to walk in those things. And Father, that we would do those things with your strength, rather than trying to just simply do them in our own strength. So Father, I just ask that you'd walk with us, uh, that you'd continue to empower us, uh, you continue to lead us and guide us, uh, and remind us to walk in your spirit, uh, 
rather than uh, to walk in the flesh, to walk in our own ways. And uh, Father, I just pray for us tonight that you'd help us to continue to pour over your words, to continue to spend time in prayer with you, to delight in you, and to uh, foster that relationship, uh, to continue to uh, spend time with you. Um, Father, I just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. God bless you guys.